Hey ladies, welcome to our podcast. We've made it our goal to help you learn the Bible verse by verse. We are currently working through the Gospel of Mark, and we are very thankful for your interest in studying with us. All right, friend, are you ready to dive into Mark 8? You are listening to Bold Is, a ministry podcast training women how to handle the Word of God. Buckle up, sis. It's about to get real. Here's your host, Megan Rawlings. If you are new to our podcast, salutations. You have found a group of women eager to support you and help you grow in your faith. You're always welcome here where you can learn and ask questions. Let me explain how our podcast works. I will read a passage of scripture and then we break it down as we go. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, also commonly referred to as the ESV. Today, if you are interested in following along, this is the version to stick with. I do want to take a second and give a background of what we're about to read very quickly. In chapter 6, we talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000. This took place in a primarily Galilee, primarily in Galilee, which was mostly a Jewish region. Now, in chapter 8, Jesus is feeding 4,000 in the Decapolis, which is mainly made up of Gentiles. I tell you this because there are different scholars who will sometimes say things like, Mark is double quoting what happened here. He's telling the story twice, but that's not true. So I wanted to break that down. He's in two separate regions talking to two separate audiences, and that actually makes a huge difference, which we will learn here in just a minute. So let's go ahead and start reading. This is God-breathed and profitable for you. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from very far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowds to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees demand a sign. This is the next part. The Pharisees, and this is verse 11, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now we're going to talk about the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And this is verse 14, starting at verse 14. Now they had begotten... Sorry, now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, 
Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not um, yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Now we're going to talk about Jesus and how he healed a blind man at Bethsaida. And this starts in verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eye and laid his hand on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Now let's talk about Peter's confession that Jesus is Christ. And Jesus went, this is verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. Whoa, I can't read, guys. I apologize. To the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now let's talk about Jesus foretells his death and resurrection, starting in verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciple, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of God, man, also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Woo! Okay. Alrighty, ladies, let's break it down. We're going to start with the first couple of verses and I'm going to reread them and then I'm going to explain them as we go. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I have compassion for these people expresses Jesus' gut-wrenching emotion on behalf of the crowd. Equally important, in Mark, this word is not used of people for whom one would naturally feel compassion, such as friends or um, compatriots. But for those far removed and even offensive, lepers, which we see in one chapter 1, verse 41, revolutionaries, which we see in 634, Gentiles, which we see in 8.2, 
and demon possessed, which we see in 922. Just in case you're new and you are not sure what a Gentile is, a Gentile is literally, literally anyone who's not a Jew. Okay. Um, that was from J.R. Edwards, just so you know. I totally ripped that off from his commentary. And um, commentaries are super helpful whenever you're doing Bible studies. So check it out. Let's go on to verse 3. Um, if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Okay, back to Edwards. He says that the large crowd gathered around Jesus has accompanied him for three days and begins to run short on food. In describing the crowd, Mark uses a rare and intensified form of the word for remain, which is prosmenium, connotating a special adherence and commitment to Jesus. The crowd has not been coincidentally present, but intentionally with him. This is an unusually positive description of a crowd in Mark. Jesus again finds a reception among Gentiles that he has not found among Jews. Let's move on with chapter or verse 4. I mean, his disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Why do you think the disciples are so confused or lacking in faith at this point? It's not like Jesus was incapable of feeding them or even the 4,000. I mean, he just fed the 5,000. He literally made this happen a few chapters before. Well, his disciples could not have believed God would provide an exodus-like feeding for a mixed audience. Think about it. The disciples were Jewish, and they thought that the Messiah was coming, just like all the other Jews. They thought the Messiah was going to come to lead this revolution against Rome. He was going to be this military leader specifically for the Jewish people. But like the goal that God gave Israel, which they completely did not do very well at all, Jesus' goal is to include everyone, to invite everyone into the family. Israel was supposed to bring people in. Jesus is bringing people in. And the disciples just haven't gone on to that yet. And we'll talk about that a little bit more um, later as well. Verse 5. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well and gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back in the boat, and crossed to the other side. The Greek Mark uses shows that the Pharisees are not sincerely seeking a sign, but are already convinced that Jesus' mission is not divinely authorized. Mark places this episode here to contrast with the Gentiles, who are closer to God than the supposed teacher of God's people. Think about that. The Gentiles were closer to God than the supposed teachers of God's people. The Pharisees claimed they want a sign from heaven, but the Gentiles came in faith and trust. Again, Edward says, The Pharisees turn and walk away. The disciples follow Jesus into the boat. Edward Schweitzer draws an insightful conclusion from the closing description. Faith. Now listen to this. This is so good. Faith comes 
when one steps into the boat with Jesus and does not prefer to remain in safety on the shore. Look, the people of God may mistakenly look down on the very people God is longing to be in a relationship with, just like Israel did sometimes. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Both Herod and Apis and the Pharisees demanded a sign. See Luke 23, 8. It is a mark of disbelief and Jesus is warning his disciples against falling into the same trap. Their lack of understanding can harden their hearts, leading to disbelief, just as it did for the ancient Israelites. Verse 16. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets of pieces did you break up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? The answer seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Something to remember in all this is that the disciples have faith, but they do not yet. Okay, listen. They have faith, but they do not yet have understanding. For understanding comes only from the Holy Spirit. So you can have faith and not understanding. You can have understanding and not faith. But in order to be a good, I don't want to say a true, but a good follower of Christ, you need both faith and understanding. And that's why it's so important to study. Um, Verse 22 is intentionally placed after the discussion with the disciples who follow, but do not yet understand because they do not quote unquote have eyes to see. So let's go on to get this eyes to see. And now we're going to talk about Jesus healing a blind man. Get it? They didn't have, okay. Okay. I'm just going to read. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? Jesus often separates from people because of their unbelief, okay? Why does he lay hands on the man to heal him? Well, the two primary purposes of laying on of hands in the Old Covenant were to transfer either animals or persons from the profane to the sacred by consecrating them to God. When Jesus lays hands on people, the effect is rather the opposite. However, for the profane is no longer elevated to the sacred, as in the Old Testament, but rather by bestowing God's holy and healing presence on ordinary, common, and even sinful people, Jesus brings the sacred to the profane. He looked, okay, verse 24. He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. This is the blind man talking. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Why healing in stages and then why the spit? Well, The healing in stages is a lesson for the disciples and their growing understanding that will be completed by the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, understanding comes from the Holy Spirit. It is a process, okay? The use of spit is a symbol of creation and recreation that comes from the mouth of God. It is not the last time the very bodily fluid of Jesus will symbolize healing. 
the blood and water that issues from him on the cross signifies both forgiveness and cleansing. Verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asks, Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Peter is the first disciple to openly declare Jesus as the Messiah, yet he will abandon Jesus. Again, we see the need for both faith and understanding. That is true today, and it just as much as it was true then. Verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at, the, at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. William Lane said, Jesus' prophecy announced not only suffering and death, but victory and vindication expressed through resurrection. In Isaiah, the final triumph of the servant is presented as a triumph over death itself, and the assurance is reflected in Jesus' reference to his own resurrection after three days. Wow, what a chapter. We cannot thank you all enough for being part of the Bold Movement. We wanted to let you know that everything we do in this ministry is 100% free, with the exception of a few incentives for our financial supporters. These include discounts on our merchandise, additional resources on our website, and early access to all of our content. If you believe in what we are doing and would like to consider helping a few girls out, would you pray about joining us as a sponsor? We have plans ranging from $1 a month to $25 a month. With your donations, you are ensuring that we can give you, among other women, content to help you better understand your Bible. If you cannot afford to help, we can definitely use your prayers. If you like us, would you rate and review our podcast? This helps get us out there so that others can find us as well. Also, please check us out at www.thebullmovement.com. Ladies, remember, go out and be bold.